exact same words <coughs> so long ago with his disciples, be not afraid. Now, here's the thing. I know in our culture we're not supposed to be afraid. They teach us fear is for weak people. But let's be honest, we all have fears, right? When we're honest with ourselves. Maybe the fear of monsters under the bed and, and dark things hiding in the closet have given way to more sophisticated and tangible fears, but we all have them. And when we think specifically about our fears, I think we find that all our fears at some level have to do with loss. With loss. In fact, loss may be the very best word for describing the human experience when you really think about it. We are born and we have just lost the safety of the womb. We go to school and lose the security of our family. We get our first job and lose the freedom of our youth. We grow old and lose our good looks. <laughs> At least I do. Our health, <clears throat> we lose our careers and our physical independence by growing old. And if these unavoidable losses aren't enough along the way, we may lose relationship through separations, safety through violence, innocence through abuse. We lose friends through betrayal, intimacy through abandonment. We lose loved ones through disease, accidents, wars, disasters. Yes, loss is a constant threat to our well-being as humans. And so fear is often a constant companion. And given what so many of us are going through right now in our community, God knows there is plenty to be afraid of. And so it is my prayer that we would hear these words from the Christ as pertinent, as immediate, as relevant to us as they were to his disciples long ago. Be not afraid. And I included this incredible... Are some of you familiar with this painting? This is a very famous painting, Alfred Munch. This is a scream painting, and I just think it captures so amazingly what fear feels like inside and outside of us. And so that's why I really think we just need to hear these words of the Christ, be not afraid. Now, we are coming off a two-week study of God's glory, right? If you have been with us, or if not, we can, we, you can catch up, actually, because I think everything's online now, Rich. All the, all the podcasts that people have been looking for have finally got the fact put up. So check it again today and make sure, because if, if you're not finding that to be true, let us know and we'll continue to work with it. But it looks like everything is back up. So we've been talking about God's glory and what it is and how we give God glory for the last two weeks. And one of the most important things we learned was that God's command to give him glory is actually an invitation to participate in that glory. To live fully into his kingdom. So in the act of giving God glory, like that beautiful song you guys just did, I will give you glory. The act of giving God glory, we are actually experiencing his glory, which empowers us to live the way we were meant to live. It's this incredibly beautiful mystery. And that's what we were looking at for the last couple weeks. And one of the specific ways to give God glory that we talked about last week was this idea of living content. Paul said, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Living content in all circumstances, in darkness and in light, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, in victory and in loss, living content is glorifying God. It is glorifying God. 
And this is the life we, may, we all want to live. Because think about it. Think, think about this. If we are living content, then we must be free of fear. Right? We must be free of fear. Fear is the great destroyer of contentment. Because fear is a reaction to circumstances. Contentment is living courageously through circumstances. Fear is a reaction to circumstance. Contentment is living courageously through circumstance. So not being afraid, as Christ and Scripture constantly encourage us, is part of this mystery of glorifying God, of participating in His glory. It's beautiful, it's powerful, it's wonderful. So today and next week, we are going to explore this not being afraid, even when the circumstances of our life scream fear. Scream fear. This week, we're going to look at a new perspective on suffering, seeing it the way St. Paul did, which I think is the way God wants us to see it. Then next week, we will explore a moment in the life of Christ when he lived out this very truth to overcome his own fear. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. This week, we're going to sort of look at this new perspective. Then we're going to watch Christ live it out next week. So I hope you can join us for both of these weeks. And like I said last week, if you have people you know in your life that are really struggling with fear and suffering, these are two good, this is a good series for them to participate in. And underlying all of this, what I hope that we will discover underlying all of this over the next two weeks is the haunting, beautiful experience of the lyrics from the song we heard in the opening video. Even when the fight seems lost, I'll praise you. Even when it hurts like hell, I'll praise you. Even when it makes no sense to sing, louder than I'll sing your praise. I will only sing your praise. See, it all begins with relationship. Right relationship with God. For only in right relationship with God could someone ever sing that song and mean it. Right? And if you were here for the opening video, how amazing was that woman singing of that song. Like, you could tell that she was singing her own story. So, but that requires right relationship. And this is the relationship we were intended for when we were created. This is the relationship that all of Scripture teaches us about. And for those of us who have been Christians a long time and have always heard about right relationship with God, try to just focus with me here because as I've gotten older, I think it's different than what I, taught, what I was taught as a youngster, or maybe the way I understood. Right relationship with God, from our perspective, is us trusting that God loves us perfectly. That's what right relationship with God looks like. Us trusting that God loves us perfectly. God is always in right relationship with us. We've explored this at Cana. Righteousness means... Right relationship, God is perfectly righteous because he's always in right relationship with us. He, read the scriptures clear, carefully, he never abandons us. He died for us, he loves us, his door is always open. He is always in right relationship with us. For us to be in right relationship with God is to trust that he loves us perfectly. But this is exactly what was perverted in the Garden of Eden. This was what happened at the great sin. Is that our trust that God loves us perfectly was broken. We stopped trusting he loved us perfectly. We didn't under, we thought if we couldn't eat from this tree, well then he mustn't love us perfectly. Therefore we're going to do it anyway. 
we stopped trusting he loved us perfectly. Pope John Paul was phenomenal on understanding what took place in the garden along these lines. It's a long quote, but it's worth, it's worth it. Original sin is not only the violation of a positive command of God, but also, and above all, a violation of the will of God as expressed in that command. Original sin attempts, then, to abolish fatherhood of God, destroying its rays of pure love which permeate the created world, placing in doubt the truth about God who is love, and leaving man only with a sense of the master-slave relationship. As a result, the Lord appears jealous of his power over the world and over man, and consequently, man feels goaded to battle with God, no differently than any epic of history. That enslaved man is driven to take sides against the master who kept him enslaved. Powerful. There's what original sin did. Destroyed our faith and trust in a God who loves us. And when you're honest with yourself, how often does your relationship with God diminish to being afraid of God? And afraid you're not doing enough to appease Him? And satisfy That is a direct result of original sin. Nothing that the Holy Spirit is trying to do in us. And that is why, into this very twisted understanding of God and his intention for us, we need to hear Christ call out, be not afraid. Did you notice when he said it to the, the, the angel said it to them when they were terrified. But do you see when Jesus, remember when Gary was reading the gospel, did you notice? They had already fell on their face. They were worshiping him. They weren't af afraid like that. I think what Jesus was saying was this overall, be not afraid. Your life is about to get really scary. Be not afraid. Don't be afraid. We need to hear this. We need to hear him calling out to us to invite us back into right relationship with God. All of us. Back to trusting he is our loving father, come to redeem us. Not a master looking to exact revenge for our revolt. That is a very dangerous theological understanding of God. Though it exists. And this is the transformation that redemption offers. Saving us from trusting a master-slave relationship with God to truly trusting a father-child relationship with God. This is why Jesus Christ said this when he was here. For God so loved the world, he didn't, he, notice how it doesn't say, for God hated the world so much and wanted to destroy it for its sinfulness and obedience, but then his son died to make him feel better about us. That doesn't say that. And it doesn't say that anywhere in scripture. It doesn't, though that's an often perspective that people have. You ever tried to talk to non-Christians about what the Christian gospel is? If they've heard anything, they tend to say, yeah, well, God just hates us, and, and then there's something about killing his son. That's not the gospel story. God loves us. He loves us, and I know this seems elementary, but it's not. This changes everything. We need to believe that God loves us. Sacrificially, unconditionally, without end, without limits, without qualification. Not because of anything we do or think or who we are. That's the trick. There's a lot of people that will say, oh, unequivocally, God loves me because I'm a Christian. No, that's not it. That's not it. 
He loves us because we're human. When we slide into a trust and love of him, then we're in right relationship with him. But he has always loved us. This changes everything because it restores right relationship. It will give us the trust in our Father that affords us the courage to follow him, knowing that despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary, as in, and just list off all the sufferings that you can go through or are going through. Overwhelming evidence to the contrary at times. He really is leading us to green pastures and still waters. He really does love us. This is huge. This is what St. John, I think, was getting at when he said, perfect love casts out fear. Because the more we trust that God is love, okay? So, so follow, follow this scriptural sort of little journey that I'm going to take you on in the next 30 seconds. The more we trust that God is love, the more that we can be confident that he who holds the keys to death and hates, okay, and he who is the beginning and end of human history and our own individual histories, is the exact same one who is making all things new because he loves us so much he died for us. Do you see? There is nothing about the Alpha and Omega of existence. There's nothing about the one who holds the keys to death in Hades that should terrify us. Nothing. Our rejection of him should terrify us, but not him. This changes everything. The supreme power of this universe, wherever you're at in your walk, whatever that is to you, for me it's Jesus Christ and the God of this Bible, but whatever that is, if it is Jesus Christ's story that God loves us this much, then be not afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Do you see? Does that... We need to believe this. It changes everything. What greater hope is there than this story that because God is love, we can know the plan he has for us, the new things he makes are for our good and not our bad. What greater hope is that? So Jesus stands before his disciples on the other side of crucifixion and he says to them, be not afraid. Love does win because that is what God is. He was here among us as a man to prove that love. He died on the cross to prove that love. And he rose again to prove that that love wins. So no matter how dark it gets, we need not fear. And this is why someone can actually and honestly and authentically sing, even when the fight seems lost, I'll praise you. I will only sing your praise. That's why. That's the good news. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the hardest things about really exploring this good news is that it can come across as though, well, come on, David, that it's, it's, you're making it sound so easy. And I, I get that. I understand. 
Obviously, in the midst of our own suffering, we can have trouble hearing these words. I get it. For we are stuck dealing with our worst fears. And there is a distinct lack of feeling or seeing the love of God due to all the darkness. And that's what we're going to look at next week. Even Jesus had that moment of not being able to see the love of God. You know, someone wrote to me, there was a few years ago, there was another, there was a, a particular tragedy was going on. I was affecting someone I knew, and they wrote, times like these I feel like we simply live under the thumb of a tyrannical dictator waiting to destroy us at his will. And I get that. I get that. But that is exactly where right relationship comes in. In fact, in the very next sentence from that person, they wrote, somehow faith shines through. The faith that shines through is faith that God does love us. And he's not a tyrannical dictator. And he doesn't hate us. And he's not out of touch. He does love us. But unfortunately, we live in a sinful, fallen world in which really bad things happen. So, Here's the new perspective on suffering that I think can really help us. Okay? And this is a perspective we've talked about before here, but I thought it was important to bring back. Because it's funny, you know, you, you can be in a certain place and hear something and it makes sense, but you can be in another place and hear something and it doesn't make sense at all. And that's why I think it's important to repeat some of these very important foundational truths. Plus this one, this one is wrapped in profound mystery even for some of the great mystics who have tried to explain this. So I'm going to do my best to explain this in about three minutes, but, you know, I've been studying this for years and years and years, and, and men and women who have been writing on it for thousands of years still struggle with this mystery, but I believe this is the perspective. This is, um, this is the way St. Paul saw suffering, and I believe this is the way we are to see suffering. But please understand this. This perspective we are only able to embrace when we trust God loves us. So that's where it all begins with right relationship. So here it is. St. Paul said this in Colossians. <clears throat> now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's sufferings for the sake of his body, which is the church. Okay? Now, brilliant men and women through the ages have come to understand this as the daily living out the daily living out in our lives of what is called the great Paschal Mystery. The Paschal, the Passover. Christ was our Passover. Okay, that's why it's called the great Paschal Mystery. So, the Polish poet, Cyprian Norwood, he imagined it this way. Not with the cross of the Savior behind you, but with your own cross behind the Savior. Let me try to break this down. When we can see the cross, Christ's cross, as not simply a moment in our time. Okay? So start there. When we can see the cross as not simply a moment in our time, and when we can see the suffering of Christ, not just during those horrific hours at Calvary, but when we can see it and understand it as the very real sufferings of his body, you and I, the body of Christ, and all who have come before and will come after. When we can see that and simultaneously understand the suffering of the body of Christ at all times as the redemptive process itself, 
then we can understand that our own suffering, our own suffering, while having specific causes, cavity getting drilled, pancreatic cancer, broken marriages, death of children, on and on and on, while having specific causes, our suffering is really an invitation to participate in the suffering of Christ and to understand our very personal suffering as truly being part of the suffering of Christ that saves the world. This is the profound mystery that we are invited into. Now think about this. This takes everything to another level. Everything. And this isn't something I'm making up. This is, this is thousands of year old understanding of the cross of Christ. This is what St. Paul said. I think I have to go back to it. This is this unbelievable mystery. Now, you know when something is given validity? You know how that when that happens in your life, something is given meaning? Nothing can give meaning to suffering like this. Nothing. This, this is grace wrapped in profound mystery. And this can change everything. We do not suffer in vain if we can see this mystery of the cross. So, an unnamed Jesuit monk captures this mystery in plain language, probably better than I just did. But, I'm so passionate about this because being human is suffering. But having right relationship with God changes everything about suffering. Everything. Here we go. Now, when we look at the Paschal Mystery in the context of our religious beliefs and the life of Jesus Christ, we come to a deeper meaning of dying and rising. Jesus Christ's passion, death, resurrection, ascension are the ultimate event of dying and rising, of death and new life. We learn from Jesus that new life can come from death, that we can find meaning in tough times, that there really is light in the darkness. We learn that all life has this rhythm of dying and rising and that God is with us in good times and in bad. Christ's experience of suffering, death, and new life has forever changed us and given us a different way of living. Death no longer has the last word. We have the power of hope that new life will come from death. Becoming conscious of our own dyings and risings helps us have a greater sense of compassion for others and a greater willingness to reach out. Wow. You know, the problem of pain is very real. And when people try to answer why and how, it just becomes a bigger problem. This is a mystery that can change everything. This isn't bubblegum philosophy. This isn't, oh, there's a silver lining. No, some of the sufferings we have don't have silver linings the way that that statement's thrown around. 
This is something bigger. This is life in the middle of it all. In the middle of it all. This is understanding the rhythm of the universe God made. I love that line. We learn that all of life has this rhythm of dying and rising. And that God is with us. We're in the middle of it. We're in the middle of a death cycle. Look outside. Trees in my yard are dead. They're dead. I don't care what anybody says. They're dead. But they won't be for long. And for all of you who have never read Genesis on your own, on the third day, God made seeds. Seeds only function by dying. Don't dismiss that. I'm just going to let that sit back there for a while. So he ends here, this greater mystery, and now we're going to sort of wrap this up for today. With this greater mystery, gives us a greater sense of compassion for others and greater willingness to reach out. And in the end, isn't this the point anyway? Love God, love others. Isn't this the point? Even in great suffering, we can find, if we are willing, the deepest truth of all. God loves us always, and we are created to love him and each other always. Always. Maybe especially during suffering. Maybe. Maybe not. And that's bringing him glory. Faith in the reality of his love for us Trusting his love for us allows us to trust his love in us will empower us to love others. Then in those right relationships, all fear is removed. See, love God, love others is not what we do by ourselves. It's what happens when we know how much God loves us. See, if you have no idea how much God loves you, then love to you is not a real thing. And therefore, how could you ever love him and love others? You can't. That's why we can continue to live in a world in which we love enemies. Because we have no idea that God loves us and loves them. But when you are profoundly convinced God loves you in your messiness, not in your goodness, in your messiness, ugliness, sinfulness, when he, you are absolutely 100% convinced of that, then you can start loving your enemies. Because you realize, oh, God loves everybody the same. Well, if he loves them, why would I hate them? Do you see how that works? The black, white, good, bad does not exist in the kingdom of God. What exists in the kingdom of God is God loves. And when he fills us with his love, when we know he loves us and trust he loves us, then we can love others. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. When you find it hard to love someone, whether it's your spouse who's absolutely infuriating you at that moment, or whether it's your neighbor, or whether it's your enemy, I want you to ask yourself at that moment, do I know God loves me? Have I forgotten God loves me? Because if you know God loves you, all you want to do is love. It changes everything. This is the second level of truth St. John was writing about when he said perfect love casts out fear. Think about this. Love, perfect love, restores right relationships. There is nothing to be afraid of when there is perfect love. Because as we begin to love others purely, because God's love is in us, and that's what's doing it, we begin to think only of them 
And as we become that other-centered, fear starts to go away. Because what is fear, after all? A self-protective device. That's all fear is. Fear is, oh, how will this affect me? How will this hurt me? How can I escape this pain? That's all fear is. That's why people are making decisions and, and making policies and doing all this stuff out of fear. Fear is not about Jesus Christ or Christianity. God, love, asks, what more can I do for you? No matter how it affects me. The more we become lovingly focused on others through the power of God's love in us, not our own power, the less we fear for ourselves. The less we fear for ourselves. So, be not afraid. Lost, pain, great suffering, all bring questions. Real, honest, powerful questions that I am not dismissing. The thing is, most of the questions, maybe even all of them, do not have neat little answers. And in the end... Would it matter? If the doctors could tell Rich why he has pancreatic cancer, would it matter? He still has it. Why is, why is, why is for healthy people that aren't suffering to ask about the problem of pain? We cry out why and we should cry out why. But God isn't silent. He's redirecting us. God didn't answer Job's questions. And in the process, God aggressively dismissed his friend's theological answers. Which, by the way, should be a very important lesson for all of us. As many of us, believe it or not, still use Job's friend's answers to pain. And if you don't know if you're using Job's friend's answers to pain, please read the book of Job, because God is decidedly against those answers to pain and suffering, which sadly make it into a lot of Christian theology because no one has read the book of Job. <laughs> and notice when Jesus was here, he never tried to explain the reasons for pain. Never. And he was surrounded by pain. He simply pointed to a greater story. Yes, hate comes, but it's not the end of the story. Healing, love is. Yes, pain comes, but it's not the end of the story. Healing is. Yes, loss comes, but it's not the end of the story. Redemption is. Yes, death comes, but it's not the end of the story. Resurrection is. Resurrection is. And from this side of the story to that side, God is always with us and will never let us go. That's why that girl could sing, and when my time on earth is through, I will pray. From right here to right there. So, let's then together, please, participate in his glory. Let's commit to that. Let's covenant together to sing his praises, even when we have no song. Let's not be afraid. Let's not.